Welcome to episode two of Healing of the Nations. As you know, this podcast is focusing on religious liberty and solutions to the nation with inspired solutions from the everlasting gospel. And I'm with my second guest in this podcast series, Pastor Kayla Thompson from Hilo, Hawaii. Pastor Thompson, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. The privilege is mine. So Pastor, first off, tell me about your ministry. What do you do? I am the founder, director of A Loud and Clear Call Ministries and also the founding co-director of Healing Rain Ministries. And what does this ministry do? What is the focus of this ministry? So Healing Rain Ministries is a 10-day school that we offer on emotional healing, healing from your past um, or pain that you cause other people of guilt and shame, but also especially the pain that's been caused you as well from negative emotions such as bitterness, anger, you know, resentment, unforgiveness, and just being abused, healing from abuse, from sexual abuse, domestic violence, um, emotional, verbal abuse, divorce, um, all different types of pains and hurts. It's a powerful ministry. My first question is, we see in society and even in the church uh, great polarization, great division. Um, what do you think is the root cause of this uh, divisiveness? Even within the church, we have theological bitterness. We have different camps between liberals and conservatives. What do you think is the root issue of this polarization? Um, yes, I believe in looking to the source and discovering what is the root cause, so reasoning from cause to effect. And I believe the root cause of what's happening in our government, politics, and also even in our churches, it goes back always to the root cause of the home life. And so if we deal and we heal the homes, the churches will be better. If we heal from our homes, the community will be better, and also our government will be better as well, the individual. So do you think the root issue of the home also affects religious liberty? Yes, definitely. Can you explain more? Um, I believe if each individual understands true religious liberty, um, collectively there are create a whole church environment or a government environment where everyone's following the true principles of religious liberty. And what does that look like practically? I believe that if we see God is treating us with respect and giving us the liberty um, to choose Him or not to choose Him, to love Him or not to love Him, or to worship Him or not to worship Him, then we would give what we have received. So if we see a God who grants us religious freedom and civil freedom to choose or not to choose him, then we're going to actually give that to other people as well. So then we're going to be giving freedom, religious freedom to other people and respect them and not be intolerant, but we'll be tolerant of their own beliefs. And so our beliefs and how we treat other people is based upon how we see our God treating us. What do you think is the greatest threat to religious liberty today? I see that we are allowing our freedoms to be taken away for the sake of more security and safety in this nation. And we're willing to give up our freedoms, um, not realizing where it might lead in the future. And where do you think this will all lead? I think we're headed in a direction that is going to be very hard to reverse because I believe America has lost its ability to govern itself, becoming more of a nation that is not able to govern themselves. And so 
because they're not able to govern themselves. I see how the government is stepping in more and more to govern its own citizens more and more. Going back to the religious liberty questions, some of the members of our church are embroiled in partisan politics. What do you think of this and what should we as Adventists do in regards to politics or partisan politics? I remember reading in These Out of Ages how Jesus um, attempted no civil reforms, uh, did not try to change the government and everything. And you know, there's a time and place for dealing with issues in the country, and I believe this is important, um, but that's just dealing with the symptoms. I think more importantly is dealing with the root cause. And so I remember reading also in that paragraph in these other ages where Jesus actually sought to regenerate the hearts. And so it's good to march, I believe, in Martin Luther and what he did. And I have great respect for him. It's, a, it's good to, you know, march and uh, for different issues. And I think it's very important. Um, but, you know, you see different factions marching and even them yelling at each other. But I believe that marching and yelling at one another is not going to change the other person's thoughts and beliefs and heart. But if you take that same person who is marching against you and somehow God uses you to lead them to Christ and you study the love of God and that love of God transforms that person's heart, then the love of God will change them. And then as their hearts are changed, also their belief system and their thought system will change as well. And though, so I believe that dealing with the root cause of having people experience heart transplants is the best way to change this nation. You're very interested in the Constitution. What got you interested in the Constitution of the United States? Just seeing how the importance of the Constitution is to the United States, and that's what made it so great in such a short time. I believe it's a Constitution that made this, this young nation is only 200 years old, and yet um, it's become the most powerful nation in the world, the most wealthiest nation in the world. And we surpass all these other nations that's been in around for thousands of years, and we surpass every single one of them being the greatest nation in the world um, just because of the Constitution. And I just see that there are dangers in how we're straying away from this Constitution at this time. What are some examples of the dangers that you see? I'm seeing the Constitution um, one by one being torn apart uh, for different reasons. And I believe that sooner or later that's going to lead to sooner or later i believe we're going to regret um, the direction that we head as a nation so what are some solutions that we can provide for the people both in the church and the nation that will allow us individually to avert what's going on nationally i think the best thing we could do is to educate people on understanding what on understanding what is the Constitution and the principles behind the Constitution and what it actually stands for in the light of not how we interpret the Constitution, but in the light of how the people who wrote the Constitution and, and, and when they wrote it, how they believed in each of the principles there. And what is your belief of how the original founders 
wrote the Constitution or their original intent. I believe this nation was founded upon two principles, which was Protestantism and Republicanism. Protestantism is um, granting us the right to worship God or not to worship God according to how we believe, but not only granting us the right to worship God and not worship God according to how we believe, but also us granting other people the right to worship God or not to worship God according to they believe, how they believe. So that's one principle I believe. I think we can easily grant ourselves the right to worship God how we want to, but we normally don't like to grant other people that same right that we like to um, that we like to practice ourselves. And then the second principle I believe is we are based upon was republicanism, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And so this principle by Abraham Lincoln is very important because it's a government where the people are able to govern it by themselves and for themselves and what's best for them. And also the people, it's a government of, of self-government where the people are able to govern themselves. And when everyone governs themselves and you know obeys the laws and are raised in a way that they're taught by their parents to govern themselves, then we live in a nation that is free and at the same time it's safe. But now you're seeing that these because people are not able to govern themselves that now and corruption and crime is up and mass shootings and this terrorism is being um, going on rampantly so because of that the government has to come in and take more of our freedom away in order to protect us and so I just see this nation going downhill um, especially in the last several years how do you think we can teach the concept of self-government okay for self-government there's three different types of government. There is, on one side, there is uh, no government, that's called anarchy, and that's the worst type of government, um, where one does whatever they want, and you know anyone can you know, hurt anyone else and kill or steal or do whatever they want. It's really bad, it's the worst government. Then on the other side, um, which is not good either, but it's a little better than no government, that is when the government comes in and controls everyone, uh, and keeps everyone safe in that respect by controlling on the outside. And then in the middle you have self-government and that's where if everyone is able to govern themselves and do what is right and do what is morally right and they've been trained from young to do those things and choose what is right f because it is right. If they learn the self-control, the self-government, then we will live in a safe country because everyone on the inside is doing what is right rather than being controlled from the outside from another person um, to do what is right. And so I believe that is um, the best way. I think the best way to do that is to inform people, to teach them what is self-government, what does it mean, how is this nation founded upon, what does it mean, um, why did the founding fathers found this nation upon republicanism or self-government. And I think if that's the beginning. If they understand the principle of self-government, it's going to help them to move in that direction. Um, along with that, I think if people can see it in action, how self-government works, I think uh, it would help a lot. And so in the homes, they need to be modeled. And also, if they didn't get that in the home, then I believe it's good to have our schools need to be modeling self-government and how it's actually operating and when people attend. You also have a burden for the educational system and for education. Can you tell us more about your vision for what 
type of education that you foresee that could be a great help for society? I think it's important for people to understand the true principles of education because the Bible says, train up a child in a way they should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So it's important to train up a child correctly, especially in regards to education. And so they can be trained, people can be trained to be controlled and told what to do all the time. And so when they get old, that they're not able to think for themselves and they just kind of parrot what was told them. And so we got to make sure that educational system is actually creating people who can be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. So if they're just reflecting what the teacher told them so they can get an A on the test and just kind of parroting what was told that was going to be on the test, then that's just reflecting their thoughts of another person. But what we need to do is help people to be their own thinker, their own individual, their own person where they can govern themselves rather than allow other people to think for them and to govern for them. And so if everyone can be able to think for themselves and and actually govern themselves, then we will have moral, law-abiding citizens that will grant us more freedom. How do you think abuse in relationships is tied to the restriction of liberty of conscience? The whole purpose behind abusive relationships is for the purpose of control. So, like in a, saying domestic violence, the primary purpose of domestic violence is to get that person to go off on the conviction slowly and slowly and slowly more and more for the purpose to control that person. So sooner or later they don't have their own power or ability to think and to do on their own, their own individuality, and they lose themselves. And that's what the abuser wants to do. And so the whole principle of religious liberty is freedom, freedom from the control of another person, from the freedom of the control of one's mind over another person. That is the whole principle of religious freedom, um, not only on a you know institutional level from government or churches or schools or um, whatever community, but also freedom of liberty on an individual basis. In your opinion, what type of abuse is the most dangerous that you see right now that people suffer from? I believe the worst type of, of abuse, of control, is spiritual abuse. And I believe that the danger in the spiritual abuse that makes it different from all, type of, all other types of abuses is that with spiritual abuse, many people who are being spiritually abused stay under the abuse way longer than other types of abuses. So uh, with domestic violence, people know that's wrong. With Sexual abuse, people know that's wrong. With verbal and emotional abuse, people know it's wrong. But when it comes to spiritual abuse, many times people will submit to it, believing that you know God has allowed this, or this church is um, ordained of God, or it's a chosen church, or you know it's God's church, and therefore I must submit to what the spiritual church and God's church do to me. And so they become very bitter for holding out for so long within that toxic environment and because of that um, they have a harder time I believe to turn to God because many times they may end up blaming God for the pain that they experience and is submitted to for for such a long time on top of that with the second thing is that 
when you have other types of abuses, like you've been sexually abused or physically abused, you can turn to God for healing and um, He can heal you because you did turn to Him. And the problem with spiritual abuse is because um, those who've been spiritually abused feel that you know God, who is in charge of the religion that abused them, um, hurt them and they're angry at God. And a lot of them hate God. And therefore, they're angry and hate God how can they turn to God to heal them of spiritual abuse when they have this anger and bitterness towards God? You've been in ministry for a very long time and you work extensively with young people, especially uh, Bible workers and gospel workers, uh, especially when you were in pastoral ministry. And you've seen a lot. What are some major issues in ministry, especially with our evangelistic structure and with the Bible worker community that you see that we need to pray and have revival and reformation for and to address. We had many different programs and evangelistic meetings training for Bible workers where we taught them how to give Bible studies and took them in the field and we run the tent meetings of evangelists coming in and doing evangelistic meetings. And one thing I saw as a common thread among a lot of the workers was that they themselves were hurting and in the beginning I didn't even see that and uh, all I thought that many times they were very zealous and just focused on doing Bible work but many times they themselves were hurting and they were looking for healing hoping that by doing some type of ministry that it would somehow just magically heal them and the pain would go away. And I guess it was one time where a Bible worker said to me, Pastor, I'm leaving tomorrow. Can I talk with you up in the church? And I said, okay, sure. So I went up into the church. And as I was up there in the church, she said, Pastor, when I came here, I was looking for something. But I realized that I never got what I was looking for. And then I thought to myself, wow, I thought she got all the training she needed to do for to do Bible work and I listened to her and said well what is it you didn't get and she said to me pastor when I came here I was looking for a father in you and I didn't get it and then it hit me and it, I started to realize that many of these people were Bible workers were very broken and they're looking for love they're looking for that relationship that they never had growing up and a lot of them were were broken and needed healing in their lives and i feel that a lot of times we feel that if we just give them all the correct information in their minds it's going to be enough to somehow magically heal them of the pain and hurt of what they've experienced in the past what advice would you give to say a young person that just graduated from a Bible school or is a young Bible worker and has these issues of pain and hurt, what should they do? I think ministering in the field is the best thing you can do because it shows you what you really need to know and it shows you what works and what doesn't work and it also reveals to you how much you really need the Lord out there and sometimes they even may show you that maybe you're not the best prepared 
to meet the needs of the people out there and so it, it really humbles you when you're out there doing evangelistic work in the field we see here in the last few years that many speakers not many but prominent speakers several prominent speakers have had their marriages fall apart and their families in deep pain how have you maintained your strong bond with your family while doing ministry ministry is very hard um, especially upon the family it can be upon the family and um, I guess some principles that God has taught me along the way is that um, first of all I used to believe that you know the ministry is the most important thing and um, you do the ministry at the sacrifice of everything else including your family I've come to the realization that my family my relationships are more important than the ministry that I'm doing and you know if you think about the Ten Commandments the first four commandments deal with your relationships relationship with God and the last six deal with your relationship with one another so to keep all the commandments of God means to make sure all your relationships are right and so that is more important than just an institution that I use more important so to me my my relationships are more important relationships when I say relationship I'm talking about the Ten Commandments so my relationships are more important than my ministry which is just an institution of this earth and so it's gonna fade away when we go to heaven so healing rain so when we start our school we have a school called healing rain when we do our healing rain orientation on the first day the first thing I say to the students is you are more important than healing rain and so I just want them to know from the beginning that you know relationship is more important than even the success of healing rain and that's how I believe um, gets our uh, make sure that our family makes it. Uh, the second thing is that we've always made it a goal that we all contribute to ministry together and minister as a family. And so all of our speaking engagements that we've gone on, we've always traveled together and done ministry together. So my wife does biblical advising with me. Uh, my daughter sings for my appeals. And so we truly are a family ministry. Today we see a lot of emotional issues manifesting, especially in social media, feelings of inadequacy, pressure to conform to a certain image. What solutions do you have with this huge issue, especially as it plagues young people of these expectations that they have to look a certain way or be somebody that they're not comfortable being? I believe these people struggle with a low self-worth and um, they really need to see how much they're really worth in the eyes of God. And so if they were just have a better picture of how God sees them, then their self-worth would go up. And then they would feel adequate because their value in the eyes of God and how they see themselves to be. And then they won't conform to other things or to be a certain image because they are... They feel adequate in the eyes of God, and therefore um, they feel secure in who they are. Do you see this type of social media type inadequacy also in the church? I see this everywhere um, in the church. Conservative, liberal, it doesn't matter. It's, it is 
crosses all barriers because a lot of people, and it's more deceptive in the church than in the world because I think people in a church, they think because I'm going to church, then everything is all right. They believe it. They, they actually are deceived into believing that. But also um, because they're in a church, they believe that they have to put up a front to show everyone that they are okay going to church and they are holy and just and good. And so there's like a pretension of pretending to be something they're not, but they've done it so long, they actually end up believing the lie, like the Bible says. So it's very dangerous, actually. It's more dangerous, in a sense, to be in a church and to deal with these issues. How do you think the church can overcome this and be a safe place? I think, first of all, is realizing there is a problem and realizing that maybe the environment is not the healthiest environment for love to grow within the church and thus dealing with the environment of creating a safe place for every church is very important. Does it begin with the pastor or the lay people or both? Or how can this, what is the process of this to begin to have a safe place in the church? I think it involves everyone, the church members, the pastor, um, on the conference level, but the individual is very important. Everyone must, they must be the safe place. Every individual must be a, create a safe place for everyone all around them. And if everyone is to do this, then we have a most healthy environment. But I believe it can only happen when people, again, um, see a, a true picture of who God is. When they see a true picture of who God is, you know, and that God is accepting of the of who they are, where they're at, and He loves them where they're at. And because of this love, they're willing to surrender to God 100% and have the, you know, the character of Christ perfectly reproduced within them of love, to love others. When they are feel love like that from God, then they're going to love other people with that same love. And so if they feel loved and accepted by God, they're going to give that same love and acceptance to all the fellow Christians all around them in the church, and that, I believe, creates safe places within the church. Each individual doing the same thing to those all around them in the church. Can you describe to me your journey in discovering God's love, especially through the doctrines of our church? It seems like you've been in this journey for the last few years. How did it begin? And what has the Lord revealed to you throughout the years? I think when I first started off in ministry, um, I was very much into present truth and just in all, to, all the different reforms and just knowing the doctrines and standards and prophecies. And I believe I was searching for true healing in my heart through, uh, through this religion experience. And so as I started off, I was very zealous. I had high hopes and I believe with all my heart that this was a direction to go and so I was going in this direction but then I realized that something was still missing and I believe I was going to change the world and finally when I it was actually I thought I was a perfect Christian until I got married and then when I got married I realized wait a minute there's a lot of things in my life that I did not deal with that I needed to deal with and experience God's healing love and i realized that love you know by his stripes or by his wounds 
we are healed. So when we see the stripes and wounds of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, uh, which reveals God's love. So we see the love revealed on the cross. Um, you are healed. We are healed. And so God's love is what heals. And so I realized that I needed healing. And in order to get healing, I needed God's love. And so my emphasis has always been on God's love for my own heart. And then when I realized, okay, God's been healing me, I realized, well, this is a message that other people need to hear. They need to hear about the wounds of Christ that heals, the cross, the love of God that heals. And so I started to start to add God's love into all my messages. And I can see how Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, Jesus and the, the cross, the cross revealing God's love. So I'm determined to know nothing else but but God, Jesus, and and the cross, the love of God. And that's important. Galatians 5 or 6 says, Faith which works by love. So love is what gives power for faith to work. So love makes faith work. So you need love. And in the quotation from Ellen White that I really love, that says, Love is the agent by which sin is expelled from the heart. So when I when I reinforce those Bible principles where realizing that you cannot overcome bad habits, you cannot overcome addictions, you cannot overcome sin unless you experience God's love first. Without God's love, there is no victory. What do you think is a solution to avoid abusive relationships or can we avoid abusive relationships or are some abusive situations some some things that we just need to handle as part of life we live in a world of sin not only do um, we sin against other people and hurt people and abuse other people but other people sin against us and they hurt us and they abuse us as well and so we must continue to go to the abuse healer which is Jesus so he can heal us um, but at the same time um, many times I believe Christians they say well you know just you know let it go let them do whatever they want to you you know because you need to love them and forgive them but if you look at Jesus he didn't just allow anyone to abuse him anytime he, they wanted to you know he actually when, when it wasn't his time when it was his time he, he allowed them to abuse him on the cross but every time before that you know when they grabbed him after he was in his hometown to throw him over the cliff, you know, the Bible says he walked right through them. He just walked away from all of them. So he got away from the abuse and tried to, to control him. Jesus' very stance against his abusers, the spiritual abusers in the church, um, that made them so angry that they wanted to kill him because they couldn't control him. That's what made them so angry at him. And Jesus stood up against the abusers in the church. And he stood up for the oppressed. You know, when the poor people being oppressed by having to buy animals for sacrifices at such expensive prices. You know, he overturned the tables and um, all the people who were abusing the poor ran out of the temple, but all the abused people, the oppressed people stayed back because they knew that he stood up for them. And so Jesus wasn't passive in his stance against abusers. He was very um, strong against them. And even Matthew... Uh, 23 you know he's very strong in his language against them you you know you treacherous vipers you know you whited sepulchers you know with f on the outside look like nice sepulchers holding um, dead men full of dead men's bones 
holding the corruption on the inside. So these are not just nice words. These are very strong words that he spoke against abusers. And I believe that the church has totally, completely gone the opposite direction and actually allow, they're enabling abusers to abuse uh, outside the church and inside the church. And I believe that members need to be re-educated on this principle of standing up against abusers. What do you think is the solution in healing from abusive relationships? Whenever someone is abused, the result, whether it's physical abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's spiritual abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, the result always leads to low self-worth. And again, you go back to the cross, and the cross reveals our true worth. What do you think is a, a need within the church that we need to address, the greatest need? within the church that we need to address in your opinion? I believe the greatest need to address is the emotional pain that the individual members are experiencing and even ministers are experiencing but are not dealing with and hiding it and sweeping it under the rug and pretending it's not there. How can we achieve that transparency? I believe transparency cannot be forced. I believe the only way it can happen is if we become transparent ourselves first and transparency awakens transparency in other people. I think that's the only way it can happen. And maybe we, the only way we can do it is that we need to realize that God is transparent with us first and that will awaken transparency in our lives to be transparent with Him and also with other people and that hopefully we're ignite a spark in other people that they will open up. There's something there when you start opening up with other people then they're more likely to open up to you. Now a lot of them have been hurt but um, they may just as well still open up with you. Now these healing rain camps are a lot of work. I can attest to that. Yeah. What compels you to keep going even though it's very physically, spiritually, and emotionally exerting to do these camps. What compels you to continue on in this vital ministry? The testimonies, the lives that are changed from this is really amazing. And it's not just a emotional high from going to a camp and they're kind of falling. I've seen just these people who, are, who have experienced healing in their lives just continue on in, in strength and power and because they've experienced truly God's healing from His love. And I believe it's like a lasting um, healing, a lasting growth of spirituality in their life that really encouraged me that this actually works. And so just being a pastor and just seeing people going up and down and up and down and they're not really going anywhere, um, all those years it just kind of got me frustrated. And so to finally see something that actually works really encourages me. Amen. Pastor, an observation of your ministry uh, coming from Hawaii. The Lord has led you to minister to many different nationalities and ethnicities from various churches in the mainland. What do you think has allowed you to minister to all these different churches and different ethnic groups throughout the nation? 
just thinking of how Hawaii is a melting pot of different ethnicities. Uh, myself, I have seven different ethnicities, a blend of many different um, races. And then my daughter is 11 different ethnicities. So uh, Hawaii is made of so many different races that growing, born, being born and raised in Hawaii, I've learned to deal with different races and um, know and learn um, about each different culture, which has been very good for me. And I'm still learning because there's so many things to learn about each different culture. But because of that exposure, I feel much more comfortable just fitting in and relating to the different cultures because of my exposure in Hawaii. Do you think the Hawaiian multicultural experience can be replicated in the mainland? I think each place is different. So it has happened that Hawaii has become a melting pot of different ethnicities, which is really good. And this how things have just worked out for it has been very positive for it. Uh, it could work in here in the mainland. And it just seems like it's going to take a longer time to kind of blend the races a little bit more. But hopefully it uh, will get better. As we bring this to a close, what do you think is the solution for the healing of the nations? I believe the healing of the nations is found in the healing of the individual. So again, if you focus on the one person at a time, just help one person at a time, and collectively, um, all these people who have experienced healing in their own lives of their past wounds and hurts and pains and, and also about what they've done to other people as well, when they experience healing individually, collectively, as a people, as a church, and as a nation, then we experience the healing of the nations. In closing, how do you see yourself contributing to hastening Christ's return? I believe our ministry focus is not so much the techniques or methods of reaching people like evangelism, um, though we teach it, but our emphasis is upon character development. I believe, you know, we can do evangelistic meetings and bring them into the church, but two years later, many of these people end up leaving. And I believe that our focus should be balanced with retention as well. And I think retention or having people's character develop and discipled and mentored and um, experience healing in their lives, that there will be stronger Christians and retention will be stronger within the church. I think that's a weakness that we need to focus on more. And so if we can, you know, that's what I believe our school does is focus upon uh, making um, the members within the church, making people stronger in their walk and faith in God by experiencing healing and also character development. And when we have our character development, then we know that um, we will grow stronger. And one day, by the grace of God, when our characters, um, when the character of Christ has become perfectly reproduced in his people, then Christ will come to take us back as his own. So I believe our ministry will speed the coming of the Lord, focusing on character develop development 
and thus that will speed up and hasten the second coming of Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor, for joining us in this podcast. It's a great honor. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here. Thanks for having me here. Praise the Lord. And Pastor, as we end, can you say a closing prayer for us? Sure. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can spend together as brothers here in this podcast. And thank you for the ministry of Peter Chung and the ministry of healing of the nations. We pray that this message will go out and touch the hearts of many people and bring healing to them. Father, I pray that you may bless those out there who have been listening and that you may help them to experience healing, healing in their hearts, healing in their homes, healing in their churches, and healing in this nation. So Lord, we thank you for already hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.